The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. My name is Pastor Ben, and, uh, and that is not important, but what is important is that we'd be taking our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 is where we will be this morning. Just a disclaimer to give you before I begin preaching this morning, as we have many new folks, many visitors, and all the rest, is that uh, if you came this morning to find a place where there are perfect people, I can attest that they are not. If you came to find a place where you can idolize the pastor, the people can attest that he is indeed not. If you came to find a place with a perfect performance, uh, this is not the place for you. If you came to partake in gossip and backbiting, camouflaged as prayer requests, this is certainly not the place for you. But if you came as a broken individual in need of God's grace and ready to worship him in his word and to champion Jesus above all else, then you are indeed in the right spot this morning. Uh, so let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that in our words and our thoughts and our actions that your name, Lord, would be glorified, magnified, lifted up, adored, honored, respected. Let it be true of this church. Let it be true of our homes. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all say together, amen and amen. A farmer was once in the middle of harvest season. And he had placed a new cutting assembly on the combine header that he had on his combine. And this new cutting assembly that he had just installed was working wonderfully. It was making the harvest go extraordinarily well. He was so pleased with it, he could run his combine a little bit faster than he normally could. So he knew he was going to finish all the harvest and bringing in all the gears grain that year quicker than he normally was able to. And he was just so impressed by this new assembly, this new cutting assembly he put on the header of his combine that he decided, you know what? This is making the harvest go so well. I ought to buy another one of these assemblies in case something were to go wrong with this one that I can just replace it and be on my way again. So when he goes into the house, he calls his local combine dealer, and he's talking to one of the employees there. And he had forgotten the brands of which of this cutting assembly on the front of this combine header that was making the harvest go so well. So he was describing it to this employee on the store on the other end of the phone. He's describing the angle of the cutting teeth. He's describing the color of the paint that the manufacturer put on these different parts that he had just installed on his combine. And, and he's trying to collect all these pieces so that he could buy them, this whole assembly together and have another one on hand. And, and the, the employee on the other end of the phone, he's saying, you know, I think I understand what you're talking about. I, I'm beginning to understand. I think I have an idea of what some of these brands are, but, but I, would, I would have a perfect picture of if you could bring one of those assemblies off of the header of your combine and bring it into the store so that I could see it. 
I'd know for sure exactly what it was that you needed and we could have it right on order for you. So the farmer says, done, I'll run out and I'll bring it to you. So he goes out, he takes it off to the combine header, throws it in the back of his truck. He drives himself down there and he takes it and he sets it on the service desk and the employee says, oh, now I see it. I know clearly what it is that, that we need to get ordered for you. I can, see, I can see exactly what it was that you were describing to me, me over the phone and now I see it clearly. We know that of Paul the Apostle that he referenced himself as a kind of farmer. In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6, he referenced himself as a planter of seeds, as a planter of gospel seeds. Jesus used this illustration as well in John 4 35 amongst many other places. In that particular text he says, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are already white with harvest. One of many areas that Jesus referenced this harvesting, agricultural type of illustration. And we've seen thus far in the book of Philippians, this book that we're going through in its entirety, that Paul has been a happy farmer. He's been a joyful harvester. He's been glad for the things that this church at Philippi has been doing, things that he's commending them for having, praying that they have more of, and he's saying that the, the harvest has gone well. Now, the assembly that was making the harvest go well for this church was not on the header of a combine. It was rather the assembly of believers that was causing for there to be this fruitful harvest of spirituality, this fruitful harvest of a church living in the light of what they ought to be doing of God's word. So the question on the table this morning is, what are the keys to a fruitful harvest? What are the keys to a fruitful harvest in the life of a single person as they are praying that the Lord would land them with a godly mate? What, is, what are the keys to a fruitful harvest for families with young children as they seek to raise their children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord? What's, how, what are the keys to having a fruitful harvest in your family like that? What's, what are the keys to a fruitful harvest as a church together? For any of us, in whatever life circumstance we find ourselves in, be it a, a spiritual endeavor of that of our own, wanting to grow closer to God, wanting to know more of his word, or, or to see a church be truly living in the New Testament power that God gives us through his word as he has instructed us. How do we, how do, we do that? We see that God, through Paul, has already preached in his word about some of the things that are keys to a fruitful harvest. He's, he's made the call, if you will, to New Covenant Community Church, and he's describing some of the, the contours of the cutting blades and the color of paint on the different types of, of equipment that has just been installed. We learned in chapter 1, verse 27, of a worthy conduct. This was one of the pieces that was causing for a good and fruitful harvest to come about. In chapter 1, verse 5, we, we learned of a fellowship in the gospel of a group of people collectively gathered together, pointed at the, the mission and focus of the gospel. In 2.12, we learned about the working out of salvation, the living out what it is that God has put in us, of one mind and spirit for Jesus in chapter 2, verse 2. And in chapter 2, verse 17, this being poured out as a drink offering. So we've seen in God's word already these contours, these specific attributes that can cause a harvest to go well, be it in our individual lives and in our families or together as a church. And just like it helped the combine store employee to be able to see the whole assembly together, to see the things that had been described, I believe that God in his perfect sovereignty knew that it would help, be helpful to us, not only to have these specifics that would be taught in the book of Philippians as we know it, but to have a whole picture, to have the whole assembly set before us so that we can see it all together. 
which is exactly what God does as he inspires Paul to write about these two examples, these two total assemblies that are brought down to the store to be seen for all of us so that we can see in its entirety this, these pieces that had previously been described, and he does it in the form of describing to us two men, one of which is named Timothy and the other being Epaphroditus. So if you're in Philippians chapter 2, look to verse 19, where we read, and it says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character. Everyone say his proven character with me. Ready, set, go. His proven character. So if you write in your Bibles, I know some people will take notes in the margin of their Bibles. Some people don't like doing that and prefer to take notes elsewhere. But however it is that you take notes, when you see there what we just read, Philippians 2, 19 through verse 22, part A, you can write next to it Philippians 1, 27. And the reason you can do that is because what was it that, that we have had preached to us that we've already gone through in God's Word? Well, what was it that Paul, that Paul was inspired to write down in God's Word in verse 27 of chapter 1, it says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs. So what Paul's saying, what he, what he first taught to this Philippian church, what he first taught to us, what God is teaching the church, is that there ought to be a worthy conduct in the life of the believer. And it ought to be so evident, so powerful that people hear about it. That Paul says, I ought to hear about it whether I come to you, church at Philippi, or whether I just hear of your affairs. I ought to hear of the worthy conduct of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he, then he brings out Timothy and he says, and here it is. Here's an example of worthy conduct that's heard about. Timothy, to my understanding, was not even a part of this congregation at Philippi, but they had heard of his proven character of the kind of person that Timothy was. So the question then is, how in the world did the church at Philippi hear of this proven character? How did they know that Timothy had a worthy conduct? Point number one this morning that we can write down. Consistent character. Consistent character. Timothy was, had a godly character when he was at the grocery store, as he did when he was at any other store, as he did with any, when he was with one congregation to an, another congregation, from a non-believer to another non-believer to believers. In, in every circumstance that he found himself, he had consistent character. So the question we have for ourselves is, do we have that kind of consistent character? Do our children see a side of us in the home that's different than is out in public? Do our coworkers see a side of us that's different in the workplace than it is out on the weekends when we spend time with them? You know, this church has grown a lot, and I've always kind of wondered what would happen if a pastor of a growing church, or any other church for that matter, if he were to go through the list of all the people that are in the church and make a phone call to the previous pastors that any individual in the church has had. What would that pastor say? Would there be, oh, yes, that person is faithful. They are godly. They are walking in the Spirit of God. They love the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll be a wonderful asset to the body of believers there at your church. Or would a pastor say, yep, this person is going to cause you trouble. You better watch out for this person. They're going to be a troublemaker and a backbiter and a gossip. Do not put them in any places of leadership. You cannot trust this individual. And I just wonder what the answer that would be for all of us, myself included. 
Timothy was, as again, as I, as I understand, was not a member of this church, but when this church heard of Timothy's conduct, he was greatly loved. He had a proven character. You know, I don't really know much about crop farming, and I certainly hope that in my desire to mimic my Lord and his use of parables and illustrations, that none of you would ever get the idea that I'm a master of all these different things and illustrations that I use. But, but just from having had neighbors most of my life that were crop farmers, I know that the great nemesis of crop farmers during harvest season is broken down equipment. I mean, any of us can understand that. We, you don't even have to have a neighbor that's a crop farmer to know that if they have something break down, a pivotal piece of equipment that breaks down during harvest season, this, it stops the whole thing from happening. And sometimes I just wonder, when a church is moving forward, especially in tumultuous times like we find ourselves in today, could it be that the great breakdown of the church in America has been different pieces of harvesters that, that have been broken down and have not had a worthy conduct, not had a consistent character. Now let me just be clear on this. This was, I'm sure, at least in part because of Timothy's good upbringing, which is mentioned about in First and Second Timothy. But the real specific thing that made Timothy this way, just hear me out, church. I'm not preaching to you an obedient behavior just for the sake of being obedient. That's, that, that's not the sake, that's not the point here. The thing that Paul explicitly points out in the books of First and Second Timothy that Paul was thankful that Timothy had was a sincere faith. He had a sincere faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It led to his salvation. It led to his sanctification. It led to there being a desire in Timothy's heart for him to want to be like his Savior. So I pray that that would be true. Let it be true for everyone at New Covenant Community Church. If you're following along, say yes, and I'll move on. Look now to verse 22, part B. Paul says of Timothy, he says, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. So I hope you've caught the part at the beginning there where he says, served with me in the gospel. What was it that Paul preached back in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5? He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always and every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So those verses we just read there in chapter 2, verse 22, you can write in your margin 1, verses 3 through 5, because that's where he preached about it. He made the telephone call first, and now he sets Timothy up on the service counter and says, now here it is. Here's what it looks like for someone to be serving together, fellowship in the gospel together. So point number two this morning, gospel worker. What are the keys to a fruitful harvest be it in your own spiritual life, in your own family, us as a, together as a church. Consistent character, number one. Number two, a gospel worker. Timothy was a Jesus man. He was a man who spoke of Jesus often. He served together with Paul in the gospel. And I fear greatly today that there are many in America who are a part of churches. They don't even serve with their churches together for the gospel. And this was known of, of Timothy, that he was going to speak of the good things that God had done. He was going to speak of the great work that God had done in his own life to save him. He was a Jesus man. He was known to be a Jesus man. Again, I don't know that much about farming, but I do know that there are some brands of machinery, some brands of harvest equipment that farmers will look at, and they will, they will know that the main brands 
main brands, they usually always have their one particular favorite, but they'll know that the mainstream brands of machinery will all just work. They're just known to work. They may have nuances of things that they prefer one brand over another, but, but there's the mainstream brands. They'll say you can buy any one of these, and these are just, they're known to work. They're not some second brand. They're not some secondhand type machinery. They, they, these brands particularly are just known to work. Church, are you known to be a gospel worker? Are you known to be someone who has the praise of God on your lips, to tell the world what it is that God has done? Are you known to be a gospel worker to your friends, to your co-workers, and to your children? Do, they know, do, do your children see you at home being a gospel worker in the home and a gospel worker when you go out into the workplace? Do, do, is it known of you that you are a Jesus person? It's very sad to me that there's many and this is reflective of most every church in America today and perhaps even around the world, there's many in my generation of my age range that are completely lost right now. They are as lost spiritually as a ball in tall weeds. And the reason is, is because the devil deceived the parents of my generation to be, to be second-rate harvesters. And the way that the devil did it was not to get these parents of my generation to hate God. That was not the devil's goal. I don't think at all the devil's goal at all. The devil's goal, I believe, was just to get there to be a golden calf to be worshipped in front of God. And the golden calf that the devil deceived many people of the generation of, that would be of my parents, he just got them to turn a golden calf out of baseball and a golden calf out of volleyball and school sports. He was fine with them showing up on Sunday to worship God as long as they didn't do it in their homes. They had to worship at the altar of the golden calf first. So let us not forget, church, what's truly at stake when we gather together. Let us not forget what's truly at stake when we're, when we're leading our families, be it adult children or not, in our home. This is about the work of death and life that we understand here as believers. This is about hell and heaven. This is about eternity. Everyone will spend eternity somewhere. Let's not forget that we ought to be gospel workers. What a privilege. What a privilege that God would give us to be gospel workers, that God would save us when we absolutely did not deserve it, deserve it and then could be conduits of God's grace simply by telling them what it was that God has done. An amazing, an amazing privilege. And I just want to tell you to encourage you, if you have failed to be a gospel worker, whether you have young children in the home or if you have adult children that are lost, I want to remind you that God is able to restore the years that the locusts have eaten and I encourage you to become a gospel worker today. Become one today. If God has saved you, God's done something wonderful, you, wonderful for you, share it with the world. Become a gospel worker. And you say, well, Pastor Ben, how, how am I supposed to become a gospel worker? And this is so complicated in most churches, and it ought not, not to be, because it's really quite so simple. It was really quite so simple for the Samaritan woman at the well that when she had an encounter with Jesus, she just went back and told people what Jesus did. That when Zacchaeus had an encounter with God, he just went, he went and told people what, what his encounter with Jesus was like. When the people that were lame and blind, they just went and they just told people what it was that Jesus had done. And if you draw a blank and you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't know what God has done. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is that you could have never, ever earned his love or his grace or his mercy. You're broken in sin like all of us are. And a God who loves you, that owed you absolutely nothing, gave everything, his own life, his own body to be sacrificed on your behalf. And it's the greatest news in the world. Say amen. Tell people that you're thankful for God having given you life. Tell people that you're thankful that the God we serve, the God I pray to, the God of the Bible that I believe in, he, he was the sacrifice for my sin. 
He did that. Jesus was the payment for my sin. That's a good news thing. Everybody say amen. You can tell people, you know, I have conviction of my sin now. I, I, I've got a new heart. My heart that I used to have in my old man, it just, it, it, was, it was buried in sin, and it just loved to sin, and it just continued on it. But God drew me. God called me. Now I've got this new heart because of what Jesus has done, and now it's no longer my goodness. I'm not working for the goodness that I've got. It's when God sees me, he sees Jesus now because I put all my stock in Jesus. I trust him completely with everything that he's done. It's, it's his payment, his sacrifice, and I'm washed and cleansed by him because I've returned from my sin. And now I've got a new heart. I don't, I don't love to sin anymore. Still, I'm sure I'm still tempted and st I'll still fall sometimes, but I, I don't have a heart that just lets me go astray down this harmful path anymore. I don't have it. God draws me back and the Holy Spirit convicts me of this sin, and that's a good thing, right? You can tell people that that's a good thing. I, I've got a heart now that is it's a safety heart. It doesn't let me go down this path anymore. Simply tell people of that. Tell people of the great things that God has done. Now, if you would, please look to verse 25. And Paul gives us another example of another man, again, still highlighting the things that he has already spoken, the things that God has inspired him to write. Verse 25, and it says, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, insinuating that Paul sees him as an actual believer, fellow worker, insinuating that Paul sees him as a gospel worker, someone who has a fellowship together in the gospel with Paul, and lastly, it says, and fellow soldier. Everyone say soldier with me. Ready, set, go. Soldier. We used this soldier illustration previously when we were preaching through Philippians 2, verse 12. So you can write verse 12 next to this verse 25 because what was it that was taught in verse 12? It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Be a soldier. How do you make a soldier? You put things in them. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's God who equips you to do the work of the ministry church. It's God who equips you for those things. It's God who puts his spirit inside of you. It's God who forgives you of your sin. It's God who gives us his word to tell us all that we need to know about life and death, all about eternity, all about everything we need to know in God's word. God's put those things, and that's how a soldier is made in today's world. And training is invested in them. Weaponry and armor is given to them. They've got, much is invested in them, but they're not really a soldier until they've gone out and done it, until they actually go and use the things that has been invested in them, be it training or be it things they're actually carrying on their person to go out and be a soldier. And Epaphroditus was this kind of person. He's got the love of God in him, the forgiveness of God in him. He's had discipleship poured into him. He's got a knowledge of God's word. And here he is being a soldier. So point number three this morning, fulfilling purpose. Fulfilling purpose, key to a fruitful harvest. Fulfilling your purpose as a child of God, as someone who's been redeemed, as someone who deserved hell but is now granted heaven because of what Jesus has done and Jesus alone. Fulfilling the purpose of the things that have been put into us, like the Holy Spirit. Epaphroditus was that kind of guy. You know, I've, I've never seen this, but I, for some reason I just got this picture in my mind that I think would be really funny. You know, we always see combines in the fall time and they're always kicking up that huge cloud of dust and you see them bringing in the harvest and everything but wouldn't it just be a funny sight 
If in early spring when the mud from the winter's out on the fields and you see this combine with no header on it pulling a huge big plow behind it, wouldn't that just be funny to see? Like it would just, you would, I mean, most of us would wreck our cars, but what in the world is that? That would be a funny thing to see. How foolish would it be for this combine to pull this huge plow? It's not made for that. That's not what it's intended to do. How foolish would it be for Christians to see church as a spectator sport? How foolish would it be for Christians to be just simply coming here to be entertained and to enjoy the fellowship and the coffee? It'd be foolish. That's not what it's for. That's not what a Christian is for. A Christian is, has had the Holy Spirit of God put in them, has been forgiven of God to go do something, to go be a soldier, to fulfill the purpose that God has placed inside of them. You know, it's commonly preached at funerals in Matthew 25, 23, where it says, well done, good and faithful servant. Raise your hand if you've heard that at a funeral before. Most all of us. I've, I've preached that in funerals myself. And and, and I will be, when, as it says in the Bible, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. So whenever my spirit leaves this body, I'll be happy with whatever it is that God brings. And if I'm on my face before Jesus worshiping for the next thousand years, like that's going to be totally fine. I, I'll be happy with whatever it is that, that happens in that to be with my Lord. I, but in my earthly mind, sometimes I wonder to myself, you know, it wouldn't be bad to hear. It'd be great to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But you know what else would be wonderful to hear? At the end of a Christian life, after having been poured out for the gospel, whatever that means in the time in which we live, to be poured out for the sake of the gospel, you know, it'd be great to hear from my Savior for, for my Savior to say, you know, you use the full armor of God. You use the full armor of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, man, you, you wielded that thing from the pulpit. You wielded this thing with your children. You wielded this thing in your life such that it was so true to you. It was an actual sword in your life. You use the weapons of the warfare, which are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, 1 Corinthians 10.4. You use those things. Well done, good and faithful soldier. I wouldn't mind hearing that. What a great thing that you fulfill the purpose of what's been placed inside of you. So if we could paraphrase Paul here, he's saying that I'm happy in the harvest of souls. I'm happy in the harvest that this church, this wonderful church at Philippi is experiencing because of consistent character. Our Example of Timothy of being a gospel worker, or example of Timothy and Epaphroditus, and this fulfilling of purpose that's so evident and so plain that Epaphroditus was doing. He was fulfilling the purpose. And my hope for New Covenant Community Church is this church grows and we move forward into the future that God allows us to graciously walk through. It's my prayer is that we would never use an evangelism gimmick, but that as this church grows, that it's, it's rooted in God's word of these consistent character, gospel working, fulfilling of purpose, that it's real, that it's right, that it's not fake and phony. That's my prayer, and if that's what you want too, everyone say yes. Look now, if you would, to part B of verse 25. As it tells us more of Epaphroditus, it says, But your messenger and the one who ministered to my need... Listen now, it says, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eager, eagerly that when you see him again you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Epaphroditus loved his church. And Epaphroditus' church loved him. What was it that Paul preached back in Philippians 2, verse 2? It says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, 
being of one accord and of one mind. So you can write chapter 2, verse 2, right there next to 25, part B, because this is, this is the fulfillment. Here I preached it, Paul says, and now here it is, and his name's Epaphroditus, and this is the perfect encompassing of he's, he's longing to get back to his church because he knew that they had heard that he was sick, and he wants to get back to him so bad to let them know that he's not dead, that he's still alive, and he's still able to come back home to his church family, that they had this wonderful, wonderful love for one another. So what must be in place for a fruitful harvest, be it in our own lives or together as a church or in our families? Number four, unity. Unity. How many of you have ever seen, and I, I know we've all seen this, you see a combine going down the row, and it's going straight, and you see the tractor pulling up right next to it, pulling the grain wagon, and the, the combine has the What's it, a grain chute? I don't even know. There's probably some name for it, but it's the big chute thing that's sticking out over the wagon, and they're going along together. Raise your hand if you've seen that. We've all seen that, right? We know exactly what I'm talking about. Such a cool picture as you see them going together. And the reason that they're going together, even though the combine is very different than the tractor, and this long chute thing is very different than the grain wagon, but they're going together. Why? Because they have the same goal. They're, the goal is for them to get this harvest in, to bring the harvest in. So even though they're both so different in their design and their makeup and what they're made for, they're still moving together because they have the same goal. Why was it that Epaphroditus was loved by his church and vice versa? I don't think it was because they were all the exact same. I don't believe it was because they all had the same interests and the same desires and were in the exact same life stage with their children. I don't believe that that was the case of the reason why they were moving forward together with this great love that they had for one another. I believe that the reason they had this great love for one another is because they were moving together for one goal, one purpose in this unity for the cause of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it just be funny to see a combine not following the road but just going any old way it wanted? If you could see an aerial photo from like drone footage of seeing a combine, just go around it's any old way in the tractor with the grain wagon. Here's the combine spitting out the harvest on the ground, and here's the grain wagon with the tractor just going around any old way, and they're just bumping into each other because they're not on the same goal. The goal for them not equally is to bring the harvest, and they've got their own agenda. And I believe that if there was ever a breakdown of unity in this church or for any other unity breakdown in any other church, it's because the, the combine and the wagon aren't going in the same direction. They've lost the goal of bringing the harvest in. So I pray for this church that we would be a people that keep our eye on the prize of, of showing Jesus to this broken and lost world. That we would be a people not bumping around and got our own agendas, but even though we're different, even though we're as different, some of us, as combine and combines and tractors, that we'd be moving together down the road for the same purpose. So look to your neighbor and say, keep the wagon next to the combine. Look to your other neighbor and say, keep your eyes on Jesus. Look now, if you would, to verse 29. As it continues on about Epaphroditus. It says, receive him, Epaphroditus, Therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Listen to this, church. It says, because, verse 30, it says, Because for the work of Christ he became close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. What was it that Paul preached back in chapter 2, verse 17? He says, yes. And if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So you can write that down there next to verse 29. You can write down to verse 17. Because we see the example that Paul brings out in Epaphroditus of this thing that he had already spoken of, that God had already inspired him to write. 
Notice, church, what Epaphroditus was willing to die for, what he was willing to be poured out like a drink offering for. Look, did you, did you catch it? Paul says, to supply what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus was willing to die to bring this church's offering with Paul being the missionary or one of the missionaries that they were helping support. He was willing to die to bring to Paul the tithe and the offering that the church was giving to Paul. Now, in those days, an offering likely would have included clothing as well as food and perhaps even medicine, but predominantly financial gifts that were being given to this, from this church to Paul, much in the same way that we support our missionaries. And he was willing to die for it. And this is commended by God. And this sounds extraordinarily radical to our comfort, idol, worshiping minds. If it were so that Virgilio, our missionary that we support in the Philippines, if, if direct deposit was no longer a thing in our world, and one of us had to volunteer to go and take a tithe and offering to Virgilio in the Philippines, regardless of whatever it took to get there, and it was almost certain that you could die in that journey of bringing that sum of money to the missionary we support, whose name is Virgilio, it would be commendable by God to be able to go and do that task. So what's the key to a fruitful harvest, be it in your own life, be it in your family, be it in this church? Number five and finally, sacrifice. How many of us have driven down the highway and you see a combine with all the lights on and the tractors and the wagons and all that stuff? We've all seen that. Raise your hand if you've seen that. We've all seen that. Again, I don't know much about crop farming, but I don't think they do that because they like the glow of the lights on the combine. They're doing it because it's a sacrifice because the harvest must come in. There's a time in which the harvest can come in, and then there's going to be a time when, that, when it's done. The time of harvest will be over. Does that sound familiar to the times in which we're in today, church? They knew what the harvest, that there was a time for, and they will do whatever it takes to get the harvest in. Timothy knew that. And Timothy, as an adult man, was willing to allow himself to be circumcised simply so that he could preach to a Jewish audience and not even take the chance of offending them for the sake of the gospel. If you don't know what that means, then come up later to Abby and I, and we'll describe it to you of what that means, of what Timothy was willing to be allowed to be done to his body so that he could preach in an unoffendable kind of way to a Jewish audience. Why is it that he did that? Why is it that Paphroditus was willing to do what none of us probably would be willing to do today? Why is it? Why, is, why was he willing to take this offering to Paul knowing that it, he didn't regard his life and it being commended by God? Why would Timothy do that, allow that thing to be done to his body, a painful thing that he would have to go through simply so that he might not even take the chance of being offensive to this Jewish audience so that they would come to know Jesus and come to be recipients of his grace and, and residents of the kingdom of heaven? Why was it that they were willing to do that? I believe that they were willing to do that because of what it tells us in Hebrews 9.12 where it says of our Savior, it says, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. Everyone say, own blood. Now look to your neighbor and say, say, that was Jesus' blood. Look to your neighbor and say, that was for you. With his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. They were following in the footsteps of their Savior, taking whatever sacrifice necessary, being in the unity, the perfect unity that Jesus had with his Father. Fulfilling the purpose that Jesus came to do. You all see this, this, 
baby that we have here, this, this depiction of, of Jesus coming to take the punishment for us, fulfilling the purpose to be a slaughtered lamb, the perfect lamb of heaven, slaughtered on our behalf. That's what Jesus came to do, and he fulfilled it perfectly. He came to seek and to save that, that which was lost. He was a gospel worker. He spoke and he taught of the kingdom of God. And he certainly, certainly, Jesus had consistent character. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So the great question on the table for all of us this morning is, will you be in Christ's harvest this morning? Because as Matthew chapter 13, giving us yet another agricultural illustration, it says that as we progress through time, you've got wheat and you've got tares. And wheat looks like tares, and tares look like wheat, but only one of them is actually wheat. And supposedly the angels come to Jesus and say, Jesus, can we, just, can we separate them now? Can we, can we get the wheat and the good and, and separate them from the bad? And Jesus says, nope, let them grow up together. Because at the end of the age, they're all going to be harvested. And the wheat is going to be stowed away in my barn. But the tares are going to be heaped up in piles and burnt. This is the clarity with which Jesus taught this. This is how simple this is to receive the Lord Jesus Christ and what that means for your eternal salvation to be stowed away safely in God's barn and not to be a Christian lookalike destined for fire. This is the truth of God's word, and we must, must see it. We as gospel workers, consistent in our character and fulfilling our purpose in unity together and sacrificing whatever's necessary to move the gospel forward as we do that together we must not forget what this is actually about let this never become a social club let this never let the bible never be a book club where we just get together and talk about the things that make us feel nice let's truly remember that we're talking about life and death church and many of us, as we go into the holidays, we will have many opportunities with family and friends. Some of you have had them this weekend to share with them the gospel. Some of them, have you've already tried to share the gospel with. You've already tried to share the glories of God with them. Their ears have seemed silent. Continue on, soldier of God. You have the Holy Spirit inside you. Continue on, soldier of God. You've got God's word to give you the encouragement you need and to give you this guidance. You've got this group of believers to cheer you on and to be the greatest cheerleaders you've ever had. Continue on, soldier of God. Whether you have adult children that are lost or get children that are very young to grow them up in the fear and admission of the Lord. Man, I mean, if you're a parent with a young child today, you look at the statistics of how many people are growing up into Christianity, it's like you're going against the grain. Congratulations, you're in a river, flow's going that way, and you're marching upstream. Like that's what we're doing together. And many are not willing to do it, but I encourage you so much to do so. So that at the end of the day, at the end of time, when there are wheat and tares and they are separated out, that you with me and my family, listen, I, I hope you all know that if there were anything ever at all that even possibly came in the way of me ministering to my daughter to see that she is a wheat someday that's stowed away safely in God's barn, man, you'll never see me ever again. I'll be out of here faster than the Baptist trying to beat the Methodist to lunch. I'm going to be out of here so fast because I believe that it's about life and death. Everyone will spend eternity somewhere. And it's what a great goal and privilege that we have together to collectively link arms together and say, this is our mission. Yes, we're different, but we're moving towards the same goal. Bring the harvest in. It's white and ready for harvest, Jesus says. Let's bring it in together. Would you stand with me as we come to the music? Timothy and Epaphroditus. Examples of godliness. Examples that... Paul brings to the table and sets them down so we can, for all of us to see, for our benefit, for our gain, to see what this exemplary conduct looks like.
Let it be true for all believers and let this message, I pray, stir in the hearts of all those that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior to repent and trust Jesus Christ who came as a baby, a baby with the goal and purpose to save you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love what you've done. Forgive us, Lord, for falling short. Let our eyes not be clouded. Let our minds and hearts not be clouded of what this life is about, what your word is about, what the cross is about, what Christmas is about. So many things we enjoy this whole holiday season, but it's not about those things. It's about the, it's about the hero of heaven, the God of the ages, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The great I am, the one who was and is and is to come, the Alpha and the Omega, the Prince of Peace, the Lord of all, the King of Majesty, the one who will outlast the heavens and the earth that will be rolled up like a scroll, that will grow old like a garment. It's about you, Jesus. So we surrender in thanks. We surrender with a renewed vision of truth. We pray desperately for those among us today that do not know you as Lord and they do not know you as Savior. Draw them by your Holy Spirit, we do pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody says together, these altars are always open as we worship together.